welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is a slightly unusual one. I sat down with my father, Michael Fraser, to talk about Buddhism and meditation, in part because I'm doing a documentary, an audio documentary, um, that will be coming out in June, July. Um, and it is about meditation and neuroscience. And I thought I would talk to my dad about his experiences with Buddhism and why he became a Buddhist because of course I grew up in that um, Buddhist tradition so I never came to it so I thought it would be an interesting thing to discuss and my dad of course a friend of the podcast he's been on the podcast before Michael Fraser uh, now retired Professor Michael Fraser so uh, there is uh, there is some fun in that we sat in his empty house in Sydney on a blow-up mattress and we talked about meditation so I hope you enjoy listening to that conversation. Thank you, everyone who's been coming to Ethos in Melbourne and everybody who has bought tickets to the trilogy, which is this Saturday, 1 p.m. in Melbourne at the Melbourne Town Hall, three one-hour shows in one three-hour show. I was terrified that no one would buy tickets and, in fact, um, the room sold out, so we've been moved to a bigger room. So there are tickets available if you are in Melbourne, if that's something that you would like to see. Patreon subscribers, of course, get the free extra ticket um, a free plus one if you buy a ticket to any one of my shows at any festival at any time and some of you have been doing that and that's always just so lovely thank you to my supporters on patreon and uh, we're getting up towards my first milestone on patreon which means i'm going to start providing video content which i'm excited about doing uh, despite the fact that i am always very self-conscious about put, about video face putting my face out there um so yes that's it thank you for listening i am very nervous about the trilogy i'm excited to do it but it is a big it's a big ask of the audience uh it's going to be interesting to see if my voice holds out for the three hours some people are going to the trilogy and then to ethos that night which uh will be four hours of me which look I like me but I'm not sure if four hours of me is too many hours of me but I'm very grateful to all of the people who have decided that that's something that they want to do with their Saturday afternoon and uh, that said I will see you next week uh, there will be an episode I think with James Nokise is the one that's coming out next week so I will I will talk to you again then thank you for listening you're having tea with Alice Okay, um, so uh, I guess tell people who you are and uh, what your relationship is with me. My name is Michael Fraser and I'm your father. Very good. Uh, and this is a conversation about meditation. So to contextualize, I'm doing a documentary for Audible about neuroscience and meditation and the they are interested in meditation as a non-spiritual, quote-unquote, pursuit and as a scientific pursuit. But they wanted to talk to, they wanted me to talk to somebody who pursues it not for the kind of app-related purposes of work or calming yourself down, but somebody who's pursuing it for other um, for other reasons. So I guess, first of all, can you tell me how you 
how you encountered meditation, what your history is with Buddhism or religion or... I first went to a 10-day meditation course in 
reality and, and truth, uh, and that the truth can be found, and I was really basically uh, interested in finding out the truth. And so when you did this 10-day meditation course, was it the fact that that practice aims towards finding the truth that appealed to you? Or what was it that struck you about the meditation course, that meditation was something that would suit your pursuit of the truth? Well, I was, I was looking in all different places. And really, I was uh, wandering around in a dark room, bumping into the furniture. So I, I was at university, and I was doing psychology and philosophy, and I was interested in literature and poetry and the art, and I thought that maybe in some of this philosophy or the understanding of the mind or in social or political theories or in the interstices of words or notes or of, of art, uh, the truth would emerge. I was interested in semiotics at that time and, and ultimately I found that um, I, the truth was not to be found in, in that direction and that once one adopted one of these philosophies that I was interested in, structuralist philosophies, that you, uh, as soon as you had adopted those axioms uh, and that structure, there was no way out. It was like a web of words and actually it was a matter of taste which axioms and which philosophies uh, you adopted. So I'd been looking in all these areas, also looking to make my way in the world but ultimately to find out the truth. And all this time I'd been, I'd known that there was some such thing as meditation, but I had no idea what it was. And I thought, well, at some point I'll have to go to find out. And I also thought, well, I'll have to give it five years and to, to give it a good go. And maybe I'll have to go to the Himalayas and sit in a cave. And so I kept putting it off. Uh, and so uh, when I heard about this course and um, I heard that it was good, uh, I went along to see some people who'd done the course and they didn't seem to be uh, uh, frightening people. They, uh, so I asked them about it and so just really with an open mind and um, a sense of curiosity uh, and I must admit a, a kind of a wariness in case it was something uh, other than what it appeared. Well, I mean that period of the late 70s, early 80s was a period in which a lot of uh, Westerners were interested in Eastern philosophies and a lot of them got tricked into nasty, you know, 
cults of various kinds, so I can understand why you approached it with wariness. Yes, before I, I was extremely wary and I was ready to run away at a moment's notice in case it was something uh, odd. Mm. And uh, you found, when did you realize that this was something that would suit you? Was it the first time you sat and meditated or...? I I did it uh, in the spirit, initially in the spirit of um, an experiment and uh, I was very intent and uh, I soon, so I, I thought I would give it a trial, but uh, I didn't know what to expect at, at first. Um, so, yeah, so I went and and adopted it as a working hypothesis to give it a trial, and then to to see for myself um, where it led and whether it was beneficial. And when you decided that you were going to pursue this path, that the trial was successful, or successful insofar as it want, made you want to continue the trial, did you have a particular goal in mind? Well, as, as I went through this practice, I saw for myself that the teachers uh, instruction was that I was not being asked to believe in anything, not to accept anything on faith, but to do this training with an open mind uh, and see for myself uh, whether it was beneficial for me and for others and whether uh, this training uh, would lead to cultivating uh, understanding would lead to understanding and at a certain point I experienced that I was learning something that I didn't know and that I would not have found out for myself that I didn't know ab about and that I, I wouldn't have found out for myself and that this was really useful and helpful and beneficial to me and to others and that it was reasonable but it went beyond reason, it was experiential and that uh, I, I was learning and understanding what I didn't know before and so I could see that that it was true it was all of a piece uh, so it was very much onward leading I was getting the benefits immediately and I thought to myself well the only honest way is forward uh, so this training is subjective experience 
but it's objectively verifiable. And I saw that it was good for me, so I chose to keep it up. And how long have you been meditating for? Well, that was in 1981, so well over 30 years. Every day? Yes. And for how long? Well, there's no rule about how long you, you, you meditate. It is helpful if you choose to meditate every day because you develop this practice, uh, this habit of, of bringing your mind back to reality. And so that's useful. Uh, so I've chosen to, to practice every day, but you know, some people choose to meditate for uh, five minutes or when they're in bed or ten minutes. Um, but nowadays, uh, uh, for a long time, I've been meditating for an hour a day. Uh, for a while, uh, some years I meditated two hours a day, but then for a very long time I've meditated one hour a day. Um, so, yeah, there's no rule about that. Some people find it good to meditate five minutes a day, as I, as I say. Um, you also teach meditation. Yes. So I find, just on that though, I find the, the hour that I meditate is uh, cost-effective. It, it, it saves me a lot more time than, than that. And yes, I, I do. My uh, teachers told me to, they authorized me to teach, so I've been assisting them in that way. And on that, would you draw a distinction between the kind of practice that you do and the modern sort of app-based meditation teaching? I don't know about the app-based teaching. You don't, I mean, it's, yeah, I think, I think, okay, uh, how about if I frame it this way? Many people do meditation for the purposes of dealing with anxiety or for uh, clarity in their work. You see meditation as the pursuit of an ultimate truth. Do you think that people who approach it in order to calm their anxiety or be better at work, do you think they are on the same path? Do you think that just doing meditation will lead them closer to the truth? There are many things that are called meditation, the words used to cover uh, many different practices uh, which which are different uh, and they ha lead in different directions and they have different results but the same word is used for all of them but they're not the same I guess in the same way that physical exercise covers a branch you know vast array of different outcomes for the body. Meditation covers a vast array of different practices and outcomes for the mind as an umbrella term. Well, I think it's more different than, than that. So you have to be very careful what you choose to do and you have to choose something that suits you 
and you follow in the footsteps of, of the teacher and they have different destinations. So you have to be circumspect and careful about what you choose to do and you also have to do something that, that suits you and that has good results for you. Uh, so pe people use this word meditation for a wide variety of things which, is, which are much more uh, different than different forms of physical exercise which physical exercise all has the purpose of uh, training the body and getting uh, fitness but um, meditation properly speaking is training the mind and training the mind is more important than training the body. Of course training the body is, is useful, you want to keep the body going uh, for healthily for as long as uh, may be, but uh, you know, the body breaks down eventually sooner or later. Training the mind uh, is more important and so in this uh, meditation which I practice, uh, Theravada Buddhist meditation, uh, the aim of the, the goal of the meditation is uh, to attain Nibbana. Uh, and to understand uh, what is true of nature. Uh, and so, in order to do that, uh, you train the mind. And that's a step-by-step -step process. If you uh, have a, that goal, uh, then you approach the meditation uh, with the correct attitude uh, to it, it, it's a good state of mind to understand to understand what's what's true and if you do that then in fact you will also achieve immediate results uh, in your understanding, and you'll also achieve Im immediate results, bit by bit, uh, in mundane benefits. Uh, your concentration will improve, your mind will be more present and balanced, and you'll get all kinds of day-to-day -day, uh, benefits. But if you do the meditation looking for um, the mundane benefits, uh, then your mind will ha will be um, clinging and grasping for those things and you won't be able to meditate. And that's a catch-22 if ever I've heard one. Yeah, so if, if you practice without uh, that kind of expectation, then you can develop those benefits because your mind is, is pure. I guess I have a few more questions. Uh, one would be, you say it's more important to train the body than to train the mind. No, I said it was more important. Sorry, it is more important, more important to train, to train, train the, the mind, mind than, the than to train the body. Yes. Uh, currently, a lot of neuroscience research is looking into that mind-body connect and the basic premise is that the mind is a function of the brain. That 
your your body, which is to say your brain, which is part of your body, is is the the whole of your mind. Would you say there is a distinction between the brain and the mind? According to what the the Buddha taught, they're not the same thing. You could use an analogy that the brain is the computer for the mind. Yes, I've always I've always as somebody who was brought up Buddhist sort of found it troubling and difficult to articulate when people analogize flow states which are basically uh, when you are not aware of yourself and you are fully immersed in your process with meditation which is sort of in my mind the opposite it's it's being separate from your process being having a a perspective on your own thoughts and your own mental activities and physical activities even though both of them feel like taking yourself out of yourself one is being immersed in your self and the other is taking a step back from yourself and i think a lot of there are you know various as you say this terminology meditation is quite broad and can refer to different things i think there are many meditative states or what are called meditative states that involve that flow state which is like being very good at your work or being immersed in something and not having not having a consciousness that feels separate from your mental processes one of the trainings uh, in practicing Buddhist meditation is to develop tranquility of mind, a calm mind. And when in that training, uh, you d develop this uh, calmness by uh, giving attention. Uh, to training the mind to, to put your attention where you choose and with, with practice the mind becomes engaged and fully absorbed in, in that awareness uh, and then the mind when you give attention to, to an object where you choose and you train the mind so that it comes under control uh, then uh, it becomes fully absorbed in this object of, of reality where you choose to place it because in Buddhism you're interested in reality and so then the mind becomes calm and when the mind becomes calm it becomes one-pointed and that's very useful uh, it is uh, useful in going on to other forms of meditation, awareness meditation, and it's also very useful and very helpful in everyday life, whether you're a, uh, a student or a business person or a public servant, whatever your walk of life, if your mind is, if you can control your mind, 
that's very helpful in doing whatever you're choosing to do, not only to yourself but uh, to those around you and, and to society in general. When your mind is calm and balanced, uh, well balanced, and uh, with reality and and well controlled. And. In terms of the, I think, I think one of the big questions for people who approach Buddhist practice is whether it is a religion and whether there can be a separation between a technical, practical training of the mind, which is appealing, and then this sort of woo-woo spirituality that seems intangible or self-indulgent or something other than a technical practice. Would you say that your Buddhist practice is spiritual or mental? The Buddha was a person and he uh, cultivated his mind and he developed this awareness and, and understood ultimate reality and attained to Nibbāna, uh, which is awakening uh, and freedom from suffering. And then he said, uh, he taught others, he said, this is the practice, that uh, this is the path I took. And he pointed out the path and said, if you follow this path, you can also attain awakening for yourself. You, you, the Buddha uh, was a person and he wasn't bringing a message from anyone. He cultivated his, his mind in this way and then he taught others how to follow this path. So the practice of Buddhism is the practice of developing understanding. You have to train your mind to attain this understanding. Everything in the... You're not asked to believe in anything in, in Buddhism. In fact, if you believe in something, just in blind faith, you won't find out for yourself. So you have to initially have sufficient confidence uh, to take a working hypothesis as a working hypothesis that uh, the truth exists and that it's possible to know the truth and that it's possible that there is this path that leads to, to understanding the truth. And so you can take that as a working hypothesis and then as you go along this path by practicing this training uh, and you get results, your confidence begins to grow because you see and understand things that you didn't see and understand before. And so then naturally you, your attitude changes and you think, well maybe these things uh, that uh, are taught about this path that I haven't experienced yet, maybe maybe they're true too and I'll come to experience them. So it's very encouraging, but you keep an open mind and you don't believe 
in something unless you see it, unless you directly experience it with a direct, vivid, concrete, here and now experience, not some woo-woo, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's a real experience. The Dhamma is what the Buddha taught that is reasonable, but it goes beyond reason. You, in order to understand it, you have to experience it, not just hear about it, or attend a lecture, or, or read about it. It is to be experienced directly here, here and now, and only in that way can it truly, uh, in reality, be understood. And when you experience this for yourself, this gradual, you know, some people very slowly, some people more quickly, you experience for yourself your un understanding by your own direct experience of the characteristics of mind and matter, of what is true of nature, your attitude towards these things changes, your attitude towards phenomena changes and when you see their characteristics as they really are, not as you thought they are, but as they really are, then your attitude changes and you, you're clinging on to them, uh, you, you let go bit by bit. And when you let go of them, they say that uh, that gives the opportunity for something else to arise. And you see for yourself, they say, uh, the, the ultimate reality. So you would, how would you then define spirituality as something sort of irrelevant to Buddhist practice or as something that is part of Buddhist practice? People are so keen on putting labels on things and putting uh, things in boxes and then um, adopting them or dismissing them or contending about them. Uh, you can call this uh, a religion if you like. It, uh, you can call it uh, training if you like, experiential training. Um, it, it, is, uh, it is a human practice where you make the mind very quiet and you see for yourself. And when you see for yourself, it doesn't matter whether you call it spiritual or religious. Uh, it's very practical and you get results immediately. And you don't get any results in this practice by uh, believing in things. And, and one respects others' rights to, to make their own choices. But I've found this good for me. And do you think it is a dangerous practice? This practice is uh, profoundly uh, moral and it 
it develops and cultivates uh, high states of mind along the way to developing this understanding, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy for the success of others, equanimity. Um, but it is important in doing this practice uh, to take it rightly and to, to follow what is the path and it's important to have a competent teacher uh, as you walk along this path. Uh, Why is it important to have a competent teacher? Well, this is a path and uh, it's possible to um, take, as you go along the path, you make, you know, some people do just go straight along the, the path once they, once they start. They have a but, natural compass. Well, yeah, they can see and they, they follow along. But there are times uh, for many people when they uh, may come to a crossroads uh, and go off the track. And at such times it's very important to have a competent teacher um, who knows what is the path and who, what is not the path uh, and to follow directly along the path. So th this Dharma is, um, it is to be taken in the right way and it is to be used in the right way uh, and it's not, it's not, well it's, it's important to, to follow the path correctly and with a good intention. Uh, otherwise, one, you know, one can have difficulties. So to, to follow the path with the right attitude uh, and with sincerity uh, and, and conviction and with good intention uh, is important. And that with that, you can have a good result. And when needed, you have to be open to taking advice from a, com a competent teacher. So, if the truth is the truth, there is an ultimate truth, and you can reach it, do you think this is the only path by which you can reach the truth? Yes. Good. I think that's enough. Is there anything else you wanted to say? I'm happy to answer your questions. That, that's, uh, I think you've asked good questions, Annie. Oh, thank you, Dada. Well, uh, that's it. That's all. It's just an interview. So thank you very much, Professor
know, do you not? This top is mistress we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doppers at every frame. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn it, offers, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle, doll, lousy rifle day.